For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode 16 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co-hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. Uh, we're back for another week. We thank you for joining us. We thank you for listening and downloading the podcast in greater numbers over the last few weeks. We love the reaction we've been getting. We like the word of mouth that's been spreading. Please help us to continue to do that by telling your Red Sox friends uh, of the podcast existence, recommend it to them if you would be so kind, and rate and review it where you access and download your podcasts. Steve, uh, good morning. It's been, um, shall we say, another up and down week for the Red Sox where it seemed like things were headed in the right direction toward the end of the homestand, but a doubleheader sweep at the hands of the Yankees on Tuesday of this week certainly was not the kind of momentum that the Red Sox wanted to carry into this big series in New York. Uh, no, not at all. But before I get to that, I want to I want to talk briefly about the way you opened the show. You made it sound like we were on a lifeboat somewhere just struggling to stay alive. Hey, <laughs> we're getting downloads every weekend. Uh, you know, and nothing says success like commercial reads like you're going to have coming up in this show later on. Yeah, good sign. We've got a couple of sponsors supporting us and the podcast, and you'll be hearing more about those in the coming minutes. And um, and and that is evidence that more and more people are are downloading and listening to the podcast, and we're appreciative uh, to our listeners and followers who are doing that. So that's great. Yeah, let's talk Yankees. Uh, just you know, completely disappointing doubleheader, obviously. Um, uh, you know, a little more difficult when you go on the road and have to win, but, you know, they, they have to do that, you know, for 81 games a season. And, you know, for me, and, and I'll jump right into this, uh, to me, I believe game number one was an analytics loss. Um, to me, Tanner Howe, you know, was doing fine. Uh, I know it was a shortened game to seven innings, so maybe you can get your bullpen involved a little bit earlier. But Hauk was sailing along. He had fewer than 60 pitches. But guess how many batters he faced? 18 on the nose. Wow, that just screams of a situation where they didn't want to let him go third time through the lineup. And to me, you know, I get the analytics. I think Boston is very much involved in it. There's no question about that. Um, I know that they let Alex Cora uh, use what he sees on the field and what he feels in his heart way more than a lot of other organizations do. But it seemed to me that was the perfect time to run Tanner Howe back out there again uh, for the fifth inning uh, and let him see what he could do because basically had the game in control. And, you know, I can tell you as, as when I played, when there was a pitcher that we weren't doing all that well against, we were begging for them to, to try to get into their bullpen 
because it doesn't matter who you bring out there. That guy might not have his good stuff that day. And that's exactly what we saw at a Whitlock and everybody else that came in behind them, you know, did not have their good stuff, didn't have their good control. And you end up losing a game that I really thought they should have won. Yeah, I, that was certainly a tough one to take. Uh, the home run from Christian Vasquez in the top of the fifth inning put the Red Sox up by a run. Uh, there are nine outs to go from taking at least the first one and continuing that momentum that we talked about over the weekend. And instead, you get a real deflating loss. And then you come back out and lose the second one. I'm going to actually come back a little bit devil's advocate on the whole Tanner Houck issue, citing a statistic that I think speaks to why they did what they did. But first, we want to, as you referenced, Steve, get a word from us, our sponsor. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book expert. And next we were game talking today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there are plenty of big games for the Red Sox at this point. Um, talking about the one that took place the other day uh, in the first game of that doubleheader, uh, we should make sure uh, as we talk about the decision to lift Tanner Houck, I think one of the things that was a big factor, you phrased it in the not wanting to have him face the lineup a third time, uh, and that certainly was, as you pointed out, the math worked out there. He faced exactly 18 hitters, which is what you do if you go through the lineup twice. But there are also numbers that suggest that how really does struggle once he gets over 50 pitches. His slash line, uh, the, the numbers are, uh, are, are alarming, where hitters are hitting 358. Uh, they're on base more than 40% of the time. And the slugging percentage is over 500. So even as you look at a decision that sort of blew up on their face, um, is there reason to pay attention to those numbers? Or is this a time where you take the training wheels off Tanner Houck and say, okay, third time coming up, you're over 50 pitches. We know the history here, but let's say you try to figure this out. Yeah, it is a double-edged sword because do you let him figure it out in a big game in Yankee Stadium more than three-quarters of the way through the season when you need a big win uh, in a tough atmosphere? Or do you go with the numbers? I mean, obviously, they've been going with the numbers. That's why the numbers are there. These kind of numbers were never around when I played. The analytics, there was no analytics department. There was no none of this stuff. This has all come into play because there is – a good reason for it. And there are tools that are provided to teams now that were never around when I played that can help you win games. No question about that. But yes, there is a time to take the training wheels off. I'm not exactly sure when that is, but if you never let him get through it, he never will get through it. So at what point do you say this is the day where he looks like he's handling himself pretty well? 
go out there and get another inning. Or at, at the very least, give him the opportunity to get himself in a little trouble. Maybe he gives up a solo shot to the first hitter he faces, or maybe the guy rings one a double off the wall. Maybe then you get him out of there, but give him a chance to get through it. And, and, and I'm not saying that that definitely was the time, but the time has to come sooner or later if you're going to count on this guy down the stretch and for playoff games. Yeah, and he's someone that is obviously going to be part of the rotation going forward, even though they returned him to Worcester after the doubleheader. That was kind of a procedural move because he had been the 27th guy that they had brought up to add for the doubleheader. They do have the off day on Thursday, so that allows them to to give some extra time, and he'll be needed uh, later on in the weekend or early next week, and we'll be back and part of that rotation. But it does seem like it's time to see what he can do and not baby him at this point of the season. His innings have been somewhat limited. We know that they have to be careful because of the, the forearm strain that he suffered earlier in the year, which cost him a couple of months at the beginning of the season. But if he's going to be doing it in the rotation, it seems like it's time uh, to, to see what Tanner Howe can do and not keep those training wheels on with six or seven weeks to go in the season. So, Steve, I, I don't I'm know about you, but apparently, uh, if you've heard this, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. I was just reading a press release about he even started talking about taking a pH balancing alkaline supplement called Balance 7, and that's what's helped him bounce back from his hospitalization back in 2015. He even said, I have an enormous amount of energy, which is good for me. It's important when working out. I always need energy to level up. Couldn't agree more with Lamar. And after watching him fight Aaron Carter in July's celebrity boxing match, I think it's safe to say that Balance 7 is working out for him. Cool thing is, we've got a promotion running with Balance 7 right now, where if you get their website, go to their website, balance7.com, and use the code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. You'll receive a free four-ounce bottle of My Smooth Skin with any purchase of Balance 7 products. That product retails at $13.99, so I'd say it's worth it. Again, head over to balance7.com and use the code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V at checkout to get in on the promotion. It worked for him, and it can work for you, too. Uh, so we were talking a little bit about the weekend series against Baltimore, which seemed, you know, I think everybody kind of kept that in perspective, right? The Orioles are a train wreck. Um, as we record this podcast, they have matched their previous 13-game losing streak with another one. So, um, you know, that's something I think that has to be taken into account. Everyone knew they weren't beating up on a quality opponent. But I, I think there was some feeling that the lineup had some rhythm again. They had their confidence back after scoring, uh, uh, I think it was eight or more runs, four times in five games at the end of that homestand. Not that they were going to keep up that production level going into New York and facing a better team like the Yankees. But was that all a mirage over the weekend? Does it just not count? We have to completely discount those results now that they're back playing quality teams again? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Beating up on the Orioles is like, you know, beating Aaron Carter in a boxing match, I think, isn't it? I mean, that was that was a situation where, you know, you're, you're up against one of the worst teams in baseball and you go in there and, you you, you know, they get their lunch. But then you got to turn around and face the Yankees. And, you know, we've been talking about what happened there in those first two games and, and, and the offense virtually went away. Um, and in a game like you talked about with the big home run, uh, you, you know, late in that game to take a lead, you figured you should be able to nail that one down and go into game two with a little bit of a high, but it didn't happen that way. And then when you, we, we get into the second game with Nate Valdi pitching and remember a week or so ago, I think I said that Valdi would have a much more difficult time against the Yankees because of the left-handed pop that they added to their order, but he really didn't. He's always been a Yankee killer. And, uh, you know, I thought it could be a different different story for him, but he had six strikeouts. Three of those were left-handed hitters that he got. So, uh, you know, I was, even though they lost that game and there was zero offense, I was encouraged in that game by the way he pitched and just by the way, the way they battled, even though they didn't score any runs. Yeah, the rotation, um, I, I think, since you've essentially swapped out Martin Perez and Garrett Richards, or Chris Sale and Tanner Houck, uh, that seems to have stabilized the rotation a little bit. Um, it, it's added a little bit of depth to that bullpen where Perez has been uh, pretty effective coming out there. His velocity is up and may be used in short spurts, and 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 with careful matchups, he becomes more of a weapon for you. Um, it, it does seem like, though, if the rotation is fine, and let's call the doubleheader sweep just a bad day for the offense and figure that we're going to get back to more of what we saw toward the end of that homestand recently. The, the, the lineup's okay, but now it's the bullpen that seems to be faltering. And, and if you look back, Steve, over the last month, it seems as though they can't get all three elements of their game clicking at once that is the lineup the rotation and the bullpen seems like at least one if not more of those uh is slumping when the other two are working they can't get on the same page which is where they were for the first three plus months of the season now it's the bullpen that's doing them in not in the second game of that doubleheader but certainly in the first and the, the worrisome thing there is is that it was your high leverage guys who weren't doing the job Whitlock back-to-back walks, Taylor comes in, walks the next guy. You walk the bases loaded to start an inning with a one-run lead, and everything bad that happens to you, even if it's a bloop single that just falls into center and scores two runs, you deserve all that because of you were asking for it by loading the bases with three walks. Yeah, and that's obviously every bullpen member knows that you you got to throw strikes. You know, you're way better off having someone hit the ball rather than you putting guys on base because they tend to score. Uh, ironically, though, with the Red Sox in game two, they put a lot of guys on base late in that game and were, were unable to get the big hit. You know, the 2018 championship team was the best team I've ever seen attacking runs on an already a game that was, you know, either – uh, being decided, or you're going to start pulling away. They were great with runners in scoring position. And, you know, they just weren't able to come up with a big hit in that game too, to maybe get back in it. Um, and, and that's what the Yankees did to them. Once guys were on base, they got them in all via the walk. And it's all because of, you know, 
right now, as you talk about with the bullpen, they're not getting it done because, you know, you, and you can't blame it on too many innings really, right? We've talked all year long how the starters have gone deep into ball games. We put guys in position to uh, be in a, in a good spot coming out of the bullpen. They know their roles. They know what they're supposed to do. And right now, even in the roles that they're accustomed to, they're not getting the job done. So we're kind of focused on the Yankees coming off that doubleheader and the doubleheader sweep with another game coming up as part of this quick road trip to New York. Um, the Yankees have made up a lot of ground in the last month. In fact, they erased a nine or nine and a half game deficit in a little bit more than three and a half weeks. And they did it at a time, Steve, when they were racked by both COVID-19 and injuries. Um, that, that's, that's a little troubling. I mean, you know, that, that's got people around Boston today uh, making comparisons to 1978, which I think are, are a little far-fetched. Um, for one thing, there's still uh, 40 games remaining in the season. There's still uh, another series with the Yankees coming to Fenway in the final homestand of the year. This thing is far from over. But does this make the Yankees, the team, the Red Sox, have to worry about most. They're now five games out from first and behind Tampa. They had cut that down to three and then lost those two games and dropped a couple of games back. So uh, that puts them further from first place than they've been all season. Not ready to concede the division yet to Tampa Bay, but that's going to be an uphill battle, even though there are seven games remaining between the two teams. Of all the other wild card contenders, that's the Yankees, Toronto, Seattle and Oakland, which one worries you the most from the Red Sox standpoint? I think to me, it's no question the Yankees. And I think it, it speaks very well to uh, something that you used to never say about the Yankees, their minor league system and their ability to uh, adapt to certain situations with the COVID-19. They have guys that come up uh, uh, two seasons ago, we saw um, players come up from the, from the Yankees and the minor league system. And they get guys that you've never heard of before guys like Voight and that, and you know, now we're seeing Velasquez at short. This is a vastly different team than this ball club started out with at the beginning of the season, when they were a one dimensional hit a home run or four and you win games. And if you don't hit home runs, you're not going to win games. Yeah. The, the Yankees have stolen more bases since the all-star break than any team in baseball, which I think would have, uh, would have knocked Aaron Boone over with a feather if you had told him that as recently as six weeks ago. Yeah, unheard of, you know, and, and you look at some of the moves that they made, you know, they bring Gallo in, of course, uh, Velasquez looks like a, a good looking player, maybe not so much with the bat, but he solidified their defense at short, you know, you got Odora out there as well. And, uh, you know, so um some of the guys that they added, obviously, and some of the guys that have come up from the minor leagues, they continue to fill in holes a lot better than a lot of teams do, probably a lot better than the Red Sox have done over the last three seasons as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I go back to a few years ago and they, they get a guy like Gio Urshela, uh, I think on waivers from Cleveland for, you know, uh, either a player to be named later or a nominal cash payment. And although he's been in and out of the lineup with injuries and COVID, uh, that's a pretty good scrap heap discovery for the Yankees. And it's those kind of moves that have kind of kept them afloat despite losing 
virtually every big-name player on that team for some point over the last month and a half, whether it be Anthony Rizzo out with COVID, Judge was out with COVID, Urshela was out, they lost Sanchez, he just came back. Uh, they're still waiting for Kluber and some other guys. I mean, they've, they've had uh, as many as 15 guys on the IL at once, and incredibly, they've made up all that ground. So um, the, the, the fact that they are now percentage points ahead of the Red Sox, although technically uh, they're even in the standings, um, they're both five games back of Tampa Bay. Uh, the momentum all seems to be, be going uh, with the Yankees. Um, you referenced earlier, Steve, the fact that the schedule having been difficult for the Red Sox over the last few weeks with a steady diet of Blue Jays and Yankee and race games, and we know how that turned out for them, it is going to get easier in, in the final six or seven weeks here. Uh, of the 40 games remaining as we record this podcast, 21 of them are against teams with losing records. They have two series left with Baltimore. They've got series, as you mentioned, with Texas, Minnesota, and Cleveland, all losing clubs. They close out the season with Washington, a team that was ripped apart at the deadline and presumably, uh, presumably is going to be kind of uh, going through the motions in that final week. Um so that does help them. In fact, the Red Sox have uh, the easiest schedule of the wild card contenders over the last quarter of the season. Uh, but at some point, uh, I don't know that you can rely on the schedule makers to make things easy for you uh, down the stretch. Well, yeah, you you know, certainly they, they have done their part, the schedule makers. I mean, you know, if you want to be blunt, and I generally am, it's probably why I'm stop, not working right now, but at the end of the day, if they don't become a wild card team or better, um, then they have no one to blame but themselves because that schedule is a cakewalk. It should be, especially if you're, if you're looking at being tied right now with the Yankees for a wild card spot and you look at the Red Sox schedule and, and you can't say, that you can play one game better than the Yankees uh, through the remaining games of the season, then, you know, then you don't deserve to be a playoff team. And this has been a playoff team all season long up until really the trading deadline is where they went South. And um, you know, as I said, if, if you can't make up the difference over the remaining games that you have in your schedule, then you have no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, it certainly is laid out in front of them. Uh, you know, they don't have any, they do have one long road trip uh, in early September where they go to Chicago to play the White Sox. That's a tough team. And then they continue from Chicago on to Seattle. Uh, I'm not a big believer in the Mariners or their ability to sneak into a wild card spot. But they're uh, at, at least a competitive team with a winning record. Uh, so that'll be a tough road trip, but the rest of the travel is pretty easy. It's all located on the East Coast, whether it be uh, Washington or Baltimore or uh, Tampa. Um, you know, it, it seems as though the worst is behind them in terms of the schedule, but uh, you can't take anything for granted and expect that uh, just by rolling the balls out there that they're going to be able to beat up on some of these teams that aren't very good. Um, we, we are uh, coming down to the... Uh, uh, to the final quarter of uh, the 2021 season. And that means it won't be long before people start talking about award winners. And Steve, you were talking earlier before we started about 
the favorites for the American League MVP. Uh, there are a number of them. We can name three right off the top. Uh, one of them, perhaps, being a member of the Red Sox. Um, who do you see as being in the running year for American League Most Valuable Player with six or seven weeks left in the season? Well, you know, to me, I just love what Otani's done. I mean, you know, as we speak, he, he leads the league at home runs. That's pretty good. I've actually gotten to see him play in person a few times. Just a lot of fun to watch him swing the bat. Um, and, you know, on top of that, he's got an ERA of under three. Uh, he's got 18 stolen bases as we speak. He, he's pretty much done it all. And I don't think I'm out of bounds by saying that I, I believe that that he'll win it. But, you know, and then you look at Vlad Guerrero at 22 years old, what he's doing, 35 homers. Uh, uh, but, you know, I like to go closer to home, obviously. And I think it's very encouraging that Rafael Devers is certainly in the conversation. You know, he, he leads the league in RBIs. Uh, you know, he'll get 40 home runs probably. Um, this is a guy who's improved every single season, still a young player. And we're talking about guys that are under 25 years old, which to me is very exciting for the game of baseball when you're looking at your best players be that young. Yeah, and that happens, uh, not that we're going to cross over and talk about the National League, but that, that certainly is the case over there too, when you look at uh, you know the Fernando Tatis Juniors and and players of that ilk, um, uh, you know it, it was tough to see Ronald Acuna Jr. have a season-ending knee injury and be taken out of uh, what was probably going to be another under 25 player in the conversation for the NL MVP. Uh, you've got Ozzy Alves having a huge second half to help uh, drive Atlanta a little bit. Uh, even uh, a veteran guy like Bryce Harper, who's only, what, now 28 in his prime. Uh, so it is good to see so many young players under 30, many, as you noted, under 25, leading the way here uh, in, in both leagues. I think that speaks well for the sport's future and its ability to, to market itself uh, a little bit better. Certainly that's something that uh, baseball can use and the proliferation of young superstars can only help that. We're going to wrap up uh, episode 16. Uh, this is our effing podcast, a Red Sox show presented by Bet Online. We'll be back with you next week. See how the Red Sox did finishing up in New York, uh, coming back home to a cushier schedule and another six games at home before hitting the road. Steve, thanks as always, and we'll check in with you next week. Sounds great.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.